Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center. For more information about our church, visit EdenWorshipCenter.co. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Join us now as we study through the gospel of Mark, the first of the New Testament gospels to be written. Our prayer is that as you follow along in your Bible, the gospel will come alive in your heart and you will see Jesus more clearly. All right, would you just uh, join me um, in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, I just humbly come before you, Lord, acknowledging um, that the truths contained in this book are beyond uh, my ability to comprehend or communicate. So, Father, I pray that you would give me the ability to comprehend and communicate your words clearly um, by your grace, Lord, for your people, uh, for the building up of the church, Lord, to do your work in the world. God, I pray that, you, that your grace would, would be upon us during this time, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we, uh, as we see this, this section of scripture begin, um, we find Jesus um, actually coming into and leaving Jericho. And there's four different people here, groups of people. We have um, Jesus, um, the disciples, a great crowd, and a blind man named Bartimaeus. Those are kind of the four um, actors in this story or the four people involved. And actually what's happening here is this is the end of the road kind of before Jesus gets into Jerusalem. Um, They're headed there. Um, It's the time of the Passover. So there's a lot of people headed to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So this is kind of, this is kind of the end of the journey, the last, the last stage. And the begin, the beginning of the journey um, on the road to Jerusalem, because as Jesus began to head toward Jerusalem, he just kept going to, uh, to Jerusalem. He kind of set his face toward Jerusalem to, to where he would eventually um, be crucified. And at the beginning of this um, journey, it actually starts the same way it ends, with the healing of a blind man. And I was doing a lot of kind of studying on this, and um, I kind of was just looking at it, and I kind of noticed something, and it kind of blew me away, and I kind of got reading about it, and I was really excited, and I told my wife, and then eventually I grabbed her ESV study Bible, and her, the note said exactly what it took me, like hours of looking over and connecting the dots to f- find out, like, hey, it was right there. I could have saved a lot of time, but it's awesome when you come across those things through your own study as opposed to just you know, taking somebody else's word for it. It's amazing kind of, kind of how God opens your eyes. So actually in Mark chapter 8, verse 22, it says they came to Bethesda, or Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And then Jesus laid his hands on the eyes again and opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. 
So, so many times we kind of read these stories and we preach through these sections and we kind of, everything gets kind of broken up and we don't see kind of an overarching thing that God is doing. Um, But really what this miracle serves as a a kind of interpretive lens for the disciples or um, a little bit of a view into their own hearts and into kind of their condition. And this this man isn't, not com- he, it's not that he's not completely healed for lack of power on Jesus' part. It's because Jesus wants the disciples to see that, that up until this time, they have only vaguely seen and noticed who he is. Um, so he uses this partial heal- healing of the blind man um, as a way to kind of, as a marker for us to signify, like so much up until this point, the disciples, Jesus has been doing things. Even the miracle of the the loaves and the fishes, he does twice. And then when they're on their way across the water, um, Jesus is like, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And and they're like, he's saying this because we don't have any bread. And he's like, are you guys so basically dumb. Like, if you needed bread, I could give it to you. Don't you know who I am? And you're, you still don't get it. So they were blind. Um, but he had, up until that point, only restored their sight a little bit. And we can see that as we go through leading up to this story, because we begin to see things like, right after this, it's a little bit more clear. Jesus asked Peter, who do people say that I am? And, and they the people have all these ideas, different ideas about who Jesus is. And then he asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And he says, um, you are the Christ. Um, so clearly they're starting to believe Jesus is who he's been telling them all along and trying to show them, but they've only vaguely been able to see him like this blind man that was partially healed at first. But he's going to fully heal their sight so that they can understand who he is. Um, and then he makes it even more clear in, ver- in chapter 9 by taking three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, up on the mountain where they see Jesus in his glory. They hear the voice of the Father saying, this is my son, listen to him. And they're, they're uh, surrounded by the Holy Spirit as a cloud um, envelops them. Um, he's making it more and more clear, I am the Messiah. And we can tell that they're beginning to believe that um, because the way they start interacting with other people and with themselves, they start arguing about who's the greatest because they know if he's the Messiah and he's the king and he's gonna restore the kingdom to Jerusalem, they're gonna jockey for a position. Who, who is the greatest? Who is going to be um, in Jesus' cabinet? And we can tell that um, this is how they're thinking because um, when some little children try to come to Jesus, uh, the disciples, um, um, King Jesus is too important for these little kids. Like, if you're going to be a king and you're coming into the city where you're going to be coronated, what are a bunch of little kids going to do for your prestige? Nothing. So he, they don't want to give them the time of, the day, time of day, but Jesus rebukes them. And then, as we get... Um, to the story of the rich young man, this story contrasts the story of the little children. Now here's somebody. This is somebody, if you're going to be a king, um, this is the kind of guy you want in your entourage. He's well-connected. He's educated. He's, um, 
good. He's somebody that can give weight to what you're doing because, you know, these are the kind of guys you want surrounding you. These are the kind of guys that are going to make you look great as a king as opposed to just a bunch of, like, homeless people and children and lepers and, and all that kind of thing. But um, so, but the thing is, Jesus doesn't need any people like that because he's God. He doesn't need anyone to add to his glory. And the reason why he rejects this rich young man is he says this one thing, uh, this one thing you still lack, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. See, the thing is, this young ruler was nothing like Jesus who sold everything that he had to give to the poor. He came, he put down his heavenly glory and he came here um, and he became poor to make us rich. So he, didn't, he doesn't need anything from this guy. He's not going to make Jesus any more glorious. He doesn't need our gifts, our, our abilities, our righteousness, or wealth to make himself look magnificent. You know what makes King Jesus look magnificent? His mercy. He saves sinners like us and gives us the privilege of being a part of what he's doing in the world. So it's, it's looking pretty good for the disciples at this point, kind of on the up and up. They know it's been pretty, it's pretty clear to them that they know he's the Messiah now. And they've argued, they want to sit at his right and left hand. And they see the crowd, um, and this is the crowd in the next chapter that's going to cry, Hosanna, blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They're all... They're all for it. Um, but um, when Jesus begins to confront the religious leaders and he doesn't live up to the people's expectations, he literally takes on every different religious group in Jerusalem. Uh, the, the crowd turns on him and they begin to shout things like, uh, give us Barabbas and uh, let his blood be on us and on our children and crucify him. So in the, in the world's point of view right now, it looks like, man, everything's coming together. Um, but the disciples to this point, um, they, don't they didn't understand before who he was, and now they're confused about what he's come to do and who he's come to do it for. And the world still does this today, um, turning on Jesus. Um, when Jesus no longer is the means to their ends, they cast him aside. Be careful that you do not cast Jesus aside when he is no longer helping you accomplish your purposes. The crowd is only ever in it for what's in it for them. So, and so many times we fall into that, or people fall prey to the crowd as opposed to following Jesus. So my first point, and there's going to be five, is this. Um, we see the blind man here, and it says, 
And when, we saw, when he was leaving Jericho with the disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So my first point is this, that we need to cry out to Jesus for mercy. Like, no one's going to give this guy the time of day. Not the, the, uh, the self-important disciples, the, this crowd um, that's headed up to Jerusalem. The disciples are concerned about their own self-importance and being in Jesus' inner circle. But we have to put ourselves in the position of this blind beggar for a moment and, and just kind of wonder, what must it feel like to be alone? To be alone in the dark in a huge crowd of people and have nobody pay any attention to you whatsoever because there's nothing that you can give to them that's going to add to their status at all. They're just gonna walk right on by. And then, um, yeah. And what must it be like to be so powerless to do anything about your condition in the midst of so many people? Just that, that brokenness that you can do nothing about and no one's gonna help you. And then, yeah, to be so hopeless in, in the midst of such a crowd and all you can do is cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's the only one that's going to help you. And that's, there's nothing else that you can do but cry out, hope, and wait. And that's the condition that a lot of us find ourselves in. And that's the, honestly the condition that every one of the, the people that had to get in here this morning, they had to come to that same place where they were crying out to Jesus for mercy. Like God uses all those things to bring us to him. So my question to you guys is, have you been there? Have you been there to that point? Are you there now? Are you at the same place where this, with this beggar? You know, you might be here in a room full of people, but you feel alone and like nobody notices. And, and my exhortation would be cry out to Jesus for mercy. Like he will hear you. I wanted to read Romans 10, verses 11 through 13. For, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's what he's going to do for this blind man. He's going to bestow his riches upon him, even though everyone else will pass him by. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Blind men liars, thieves, rapists, bullies, unwed mothers, deadbeat dads, child molesters. This offensive mercy of God. Especially to self-righteous people 
that are in this crowd and to the disciples who are trying more and more to get positions of honor. So mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. Not only is this man a blind beggar, but he knows that he is also a great sinner or he would be asking for grace. Grace is, God, give me something that I don't deserve. He's not asking for grace. He's asking for mercy. Don't give me what I deserve. Which is crazy. He's, look at his condition. <laughs> but he knows that even his heart is in worse condition than his, his sight. <laughs> and, and we see in verse 48 that many people begin to try to silence this man. He isn't important enough for King Jesus' time. We have to be careful as Christians and especially as leaders to avoid the kind of pride that Matt talked about last week, the pride we see in the disciples that want to sit at Jesus' right and left hand. We must remember that our spiritual condition is always that of blind beggars that have cried out and been redeemed by a merciful Savior. We can never forget we can never forget what God has done in us and for us, or we will begin to think that it has come from us. Everything we have is owing to his grace and mercy, and we don't get to make demands like the disciples tried to do. Let me sit at your right and left hand. This is the same mistake they made with the little children played out again. So they, they didn't, he didn't have time for the little children. He's too important. He doesn't have time for this blind guy either. We're on our way to Jerusalem. He's going to be crowned king. So that brings me to point two. Jesus will call you. He cried out, um, he cried out to Jesus for mercy, and Jesus hears him. So because, because the disciples have, had misunderstood what Jesus came to do, which was die for sin, they were misunderstanding who he came to do it for, which was for sinners, for the least, not the most important people, the most broken people, blind beggars that are begging for mercy for their own sin. In Luke chapter 5, verses 29 through 32, uh, this is after Jesus calls um, Levi or Matthew. It says, And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance." And so the disciples were misunderstanding that, and the Pharisees and the scribes, they'll never get it. Um, they're too self-important and self-righteous to understand that it isn't the sick that, or the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick, and that he's called, um, come to call, um, not come to call the righteous, but come to call sinners. In James chapter four, verse uh, six through 10, he says, but he gives more grace, therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. 
Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Yeah, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So I guess that should ask, make us ask the question, is God opposing us? Is he opposing you? And he will until you come to a place that you're broken and he can exalt you. And that's where, that's where all these people were this morning. They've come through some hard stuff. Maybe they were proud, but all those things broke them to the point where they cried out to Jesus for mercy and he called their name. And that's what he's getting ready to do for this blind guy. He's going to exalt him too. Because that, th these are the kind of people that Jesus exalts. So maybe, maybe you've been crying out for mercy and you're asking, how do I know if he's calling me? And I would say, because you're here today. It's no accident. It's the providence of God. Because I know that there's... Three billion, or no wait, three, yeah, three billion people in the world that have never heard this message. They've never heard of Jesus. They speak 4,200 different languages. And they represent 42% of the world's population. And none of you chose where you were born. So is he calling you? I would say yes, because you're here. Jesus isn't like us. He doesn't gain glory by saving the most popular or gathering the most important people around himself so that he can look bigger. He isn't trying like us to have more and more important people follow him on social media so he looks important. He calls the broken and adds to his crowd the lowly by redeeming them. That's what makes him magnificent. He takes the worst and he makes them the best. That's, that's who is in his crowd. That brings me to point, point number three. When Jesus calls you, respond with faith. Just imagine this guy. You know, there's this huge crowd and Jesus calls to him and now he's got to get up and find his way to Jesus. It doesn't say anyone helped him. It doesn't say the crowd parted or, you know, John took him by the hand and brought him to Jesus. For all we know, he's fumbling his way through the crowd. Um, nobody wanted to help him before. They wanted him just to shut up so they could get on with what they got to do. But just imagine his, his excitement, too, because he knows who Jesus is and what he can do. And he, it says right here, um, they, they said, and they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Like he jumps up. He knows who Jesus is. He knows what Jesus can do for him. And he doesn't, he doesn't care what he looks like. Heck, no, but he can't even see if anyone's laughing at him. <laughs> um, he's just headed for Jesus, you know. And then he gets there and, yeah. So, I mean, his example teaches us that we have to actively respond to Jesus to receive anything from him. 
And we see, see him jumping at the opportunity. So my exhortation would be to you, if you hear the voice of the Lord today, do not harden your heart. You know, if, if you were in this guy's place and he calls out to you, you're not just going to sit there. I mean, he's the only guy that's taken notice of you. He's the only one that can do anything for you. And that's the same, the same is true for us. But, you know, maybe there's times where you have cried out for mercy and he's called you, but you haven't responded. You haven't made any effort at all to, to come to him, to ask him to save you. So we need to follow this man's example. And we have to ask him for what, for what we need. We see in verse 51, Jesus asked him specifically, he's like, what do you want me to do for you? Which reminded me of the scripture in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. These are Jesus' words, Sermon on the Mount. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For whoever asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if a son asks him for bread, will he will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He's not going to let us down if we've cried out to him for mercy and he's called us and we've responded by faith. He's not going to let us down. He's a good Father. He gives good gifts. We just have to ask him. Um, my fourth point is, your faith in Christ will make you well. And that's what happens uh, to this man. <coughs> Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. If you would, I was going to have you guys turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I think there's uh, a really good example of this that we can learn from. It says it better than I can say it, how our faith in Christ makes us well. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 31. I guess when you get there, say, got it. And then I'll start anyways, even if you're not there. No. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is so true, and it's true of the church, and it's true of everyone that was baptized here today. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, it, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. So God set it up this way. 
Um, and this is what he's trying to show the disciples in the crowd, that we have nothing to boast in uh, before God. And that's what he's trying to show them by, by uh, <coughs> saving this, this uh, blind beggar. Like he, um, there's nothing this guy can do. He can barely even get to Jesus. Like it's all by the mercy and grace of God that this man is restored and begins to follow Jesus um, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. This is, this is the world that we live in. Um, nobody's going to be able to come before God someday and say, look at how good I was. Look at how righteous I was. Um, we're all sinners. And then this part here where I said, your faith in Christ will make you well. And this is how it makes us well. Verse 30, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. And because of him, this is how we're made well. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. He did it. He noticed you walking through this town in a crowd when no one else would give you the time of day. And he calls you and heals you and restore you, restores you. He became to us wisdom from God. So Jesus is our wisdom. And he became to us the righteousness of God. We don't have any righteousness. We get it from Jesus. He was punished for our sins. And we get credit for his obedience to God unto death. And he is our sanctification. He is, he is the one that causes us to become more and more like him. And he is the one that redeemed us uh, when we were trapped in darkness. He brought us um, uh, into the kingdom of the son that he loves. So that it's written, let no one boast, boast in the Lord. None of his disciples are going to have anything to boast in except for that Jesus picked them. You know, fishermen and tax collectors and um, thieving betrayers. And so this is what Jesus is doing those things right now with this blind beggar. He is shaming the strong and the wise through this man's healing. He's going to add this guy to his, his crowd that's going to come into Jerusalem to his coronation that ends on a bloody cross. So I would say, um, look, at, look at what God has done. We just have, you just have to look at, look at the people around you. Look at what God has done with a bunch of blind beggars. That's who we are. That's why we never have anything to boast in. Whatever we have, whatever God is, whatever is done in our lives, whatever we become because of Christ, it's owing to him taking notice of us when we were crying out for mercy and he called us. And we responded and he has made us well. So this is, this is our story, hopefully. This is what he has done this morning in the baptism. This is what makes Jesus so glorious that he can do so much with so little. That's what we see in the parable of the loaves and fishes. <laughs> and that's what he does with each and every person here. And that's what he's going to do with this blind man, blind man. He doesn't need the rich young ruler to make him look more powerful. He can make himself look more powerful by redeeming a blind beggar.
If Jesus, I, I had this thought, if Jesus was picking a dodgeball team, he would pick, pick all the people that no one would ever pick and he would win every time. He would just make them like the best, you know, by his, by his power. So our faith makes us well because it unites us to Christ and he makes us well. And that brings me lastly to my fifth point, which is faith that makes you well is an active faith. We see in verse 52 of, of chapter 10 in Mark that it says, and Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Someone that's experienced this kind of mercy and this kind of grace isn't just gonna sit back down on the side of the road. They're going to follow the man or the God who did this miraculous thing to him, you know, that, that no one else took notice and Jesus um, heals this man as he cries out for mercy. So Jesus has done the great work to me, caused me to be born again. Now we can do his, now we can do his work th through me as I follow him. He did a work to me, now I get to be involved in his work. He, he works through my life. What a privilege, what a privilege that is. I was once his enemy, now by his grace and mercy, I get to be a part of his work in the world. This guy gets to go with Jesus to Jerusalem. He couldn't even find his, barely find his way to the crowd to, uh, through the crowd to Jesus and now he's with everyone else going to Jerusalem. And that, it, that also um, just reminds me, you know, especially to those who've been baptized this morning, my encouragement is just to continue. You know, God has began a good work in you. Um, and many, many make a good start. Um, but my exhortation would be to continue following Jesus like this blind man did. Don't just sit back down on the side of the road where he found you. Or once de having delivered you from Egypt, don't go back. <laughs> um, James chapter two, I wanted to read from here. 14 through 19, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even demons believe and shudder. So this is just an encouragement. We're not saved by our works, but we worked because we've been saved. <laughs> and we get to participate in God's work in the world. Um, God has, um, I think it's Ephesians 2.10, you know, he's, he foreordained that we would do works, that we would walk in them. That's, um, and we see here that de even demons believe that God exists. They, have, they believe more than atheists do, but they have no works to prove 
that God has done anything redemptive in them. In fact, they're always going against God. So we see that our, our faith has to be active like this man. Get up and follow Jesus. Um, John chapter 15, verse 4. Jesus says, Remain in me and I in you, just as the branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I think as Christians, a lot of times we focus a lot on, oh, I need to be bearing fruit. You know, I need to, there needs to be evidence of what God has done in my life and I want to work really hard. But the key, the key isn't producing fruit, it's remaining in Christ. If we can stay connected to Jesus, um, if we make that effort, which it takes effort because abiding or holding on to or clinging um, takes effort. It's not just, um, it's, it's not effortless. Like we will bear fruit because Jesus' life will come through us. And he says, that, later on he says that every branch in me that doesn't bear, bear fruit, um, it withers and he, and he cuts it off and throws it in the fire. So, Faith that uh, makes us well is an active faith. It isn't just passively there. We have to work at it. We have to, um, in practical ways, um, you know, just, just being in a relationship with Jesus and being a part of his body and participating in a Sunday morning um, and a part, even these small groups that we're starting on Sunday night, those are all ways for us to grow and abide in Christ so that we can um, bear fruit for him and we'll know I mean we'll know that if we're doing well at abiding in Christ because it'll be evident it'll be apparent um, we will begin to bear fruit so just to sum up my five points again and this is an exhortation to cry out to Jesus for mercy Jesus will call you and when he calls you respond with faith and your faith in Christ will make you well. And the faith that makes you well is active. It's an active faith. And I wanted to read Romans 5, verse 6 in closing here, just to kind of reiterate um, kind of the point Jesus is making to the disciples and uh, to the crowd and to this blind man. Romans 5, 6, For why we were still helpless... At the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. That's when Jesus died for us, while we were helpless, not while we were impressive, you know, somebody that he would want to add to his entourage. While we were helpless at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. So if you're feeling hopeless, that should give you hope because that's where you need to be to cry out to Jesus for mercy and receive from him hope and mercy and grace. And that's the point, exactly the point that, that um, Jesus died to redeem you, is that, that hopeless point. Romans 5, 8. For God proves his own love for us and that, we were, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated it for us. And that's what these guys were missing um, they hadn't understand uh, what Jesus came to do, so that's uh, what he came to do. So they didn't know what, who he came to do it for. They were completely missing it. So 
but he proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this is what he wanted to show the disciples, who he was and what he came to do. And he used two blind men to open their eyes. And hopefully he has opened ours a little bit as well this morning, um, just to the process of what it looks like to cry out to Jesus for mercy. Um, well, with that, I'd like to close in prayer. So I guess maybe the worship team could come up or however we do that. So I would say, you know, like, like I was exhorting before, if, if you hear the voice of the Lord today, don't harden your heart. Um, if you feel like you've been crying out to Jesus and you're wondering if he's been calling you, um, respond with faith, you know. It, actively respond. Come and talk to me or Matt, and I'll be happy to talk with you about what God's been stirring in your heart. Um, so I just wanted to give that opportunity um, to everyone. So, all right, well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that while we were sitting, Lord, along a roadside and no one was giving any mind to us, Lord, when people had wrote us off, God, that we were too messed up, and that, there was, that we were lost causes, God, that, that uh, when we cried out to you, Lord, you called us, you took notice. Lord, you didn't pass by, and you still don't pass by today. Lord, you hear all who call on you, and you will save them. God, I pray that you would do that work this morning in the hearts of some people, Father. Lord, I pray that no one would leave here without responding in faith, Lord, to your call. Father, I pray that you would just uh, plant this word deep in, deep in our hearts. Help us to remember, Lord, that it is, uh, that you've come to call the sick and that you didn't come to call the righteous but the unrighteous, God. And I pray that we wouldn't begin to see the work that you've done in our lives and think that we've done it and begin to lord that over people and consider them maybe not quite as important as we are. Lord, I pray that you would protect us from that kind of pride. Lord, that we would be the same kind of people that, that you are, Lord, that we would take notice of those who've been marginalized and hold out the hope of the gospel to them, that there is a God who hears when they cry for mercy and that he'll call them. So Lord, we thank you this morning for your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.